cross, right before he died, he made that statement, it is finished. I'm going to read real quickly here, verses 28 through 30. And this is what it says. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a, a, a sponge in it and put it on a stalk of hyssop, of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As we begin looking at this and focusing on this final few verses here, again, let, let me just announce uh, the new computer has a newer version, the 2011 version of uh, NIV. I have an older one. So if you see a couple of words different, it still means the same, but that's why it's a little bit different there. I had just noticed. But so uh, I don't know if it was in this scripture. Some scriptures you may see a little bit different. But let's break this down, this moment in Jesus' life at the cross. He says, later knowing that, I love this, those four words, all was now what? Completed. Circle that. All was now completed. When something is complete, it means you can't add anything to it. In other words, Jesus done it all. It was completed for your salvation 2,000 years ago. There's nothing you could do to add to your salvation, to earn your salvation. It was fini. And if he would have been crucified at the point of Sosis, he would have said, c'est tout. It's over. <laughs> it is finished. And then it goes on to say, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, and there's a meaning behind this, that he says, I am thirsty. And I want to look at a couple of different things. It's the fulfill the scripture that you'll see on your paper, uh, Psalm 69, 21, where it says, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. It's fulfilling that uh, word spoken about him. But I want to let you know what else it means here. Uh, I am thirsty. And he's talking about it. Today, I'll, I kind of want you to get the, the, this image of speaking, looking in the natural at what was going on versus what was going on in the spiritual. Looking on this side, the cross where he's hanging versus once he was uh, resurrected through the cross. So we understand you look at that and it says, he says, I am thirsty and he's on this side, the cross. And what is a thirst? A thirst is longing for something. And I need you to understand that what he was trying to let us know partly in his statement here is not only to fulfill the scripture, but he's letting us know on this side of the cross, there is nothing that is going to fulfill your thirst or quench your thirst in this world. There is nothing that will. You know, in the 70s, they had that urban cowboy movie. It was uh, John Travolta when he was the cowboy. And uh, Mickey Gilly had that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. It wasn't a Christian song, but those words there is the truth for this world. They're looking for love. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking everywhere, thirsting for what only God could fill in their life. And it'll never be filled any other way. You ever, you ever wonder, and I've mentioned this before, why so many rich people that have all the money in the world, everything they want, commit suicide? Think of all the rock stars. They have the sex, drugs, rock and roll, everything this world has to offer. But yet they kill themselves. 
because there's a thirst for more because those things don't satisfy what only God could satisfy. Let, let's look quickly. Psalms 42 verse 1 talks about some of this. He says, As the deer pants for the streams of water, my soul pants for you, O God. He says, My soul thirsts for God, the living God. You see, our, our thirst can only be quenched by Him. Nothing in this world. The next verse, Psalm 63, 1 says, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul does what? Thirst for You. My body longs for You in a dry and weary land where there is what? No water. And now He's letting you know that nothing in this world will quench your thirst. Nothing in this life will make you feel whole and complete except Him. Notice one, one thing, John 4, 10 through 14. This is where Jesus went to the well and the woman was going to offer, uh, He asked her for a drink. Jesus answers her, If you knew the gift of God, okay, the gift of God, Him, and who it is that asks you for a what? A drink. Notice how this thirst theme is, theme is staying in there. He says, you would have asked him. In other words, Jesus is saying, you would have asked me. And he would have given you not earthly water from this well that you're only going to be thirsty for again. He says, he, was, he would give you, I would give you living water. And the sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw uh, with, with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? And he could have said, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, no man, no earthly person's ever going to fulfill what only God can do. Listen, I say it all the time, but I think I need to hammer this home all the time. God created Adam and established a relationship with Adam before he created Eve because God was letting him know your, your, the, the crust of your life is going to be found in a relationship with me. And only then, when you understand that relationship between God and man, can you look at other people, but realize that other people will let you down. Amen. You can clap for that. That's all right. If you're going to clap, clap. Don't patty cake. We don't want a patty cake. He says, uh, are you greater than Jacob who, who gave us this well to drink from uh, himself, as did also his sons and the flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give him will become, will be, uh, come in him a living spring. Notice what it says, welling up to eternal life. Because the water you're going to get here will never satisfy you. You're always going to be thirsty for more. And let's jump back to our original verse. Uh, it says this, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge on it and put, uh, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Let me tell you why that's important. The hyssop plant. Why, would, why didn't they just say he put it on something? But they mentioned the word hyssop. And I want you to understand, when John the Baptist seen Jesus coming and saying, what did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I don't have time to get into the Passover celebration, but remember when uh, Moses, God told Moses, he says, take a lamb, spotless, without defect, slaughter it and put it on the, on the uh, doorpost of, of your home. And whoever has the blood of the lamb over their doorpost, the death angel will bypass. You see, that was the Passover. And that's what the Jewish people celebrated every year when it talks about the Passover celebration. They're remembering that day where God spared lives because of the blood of the Lamb. Now it's important that you realize that in a Passover celebration, the preparation of the Lamb, hyssop, was used. You hear me? So why, why was it on a hyssop branch? Because Jesus Christ was the sacrificial lamb of God that they celebrated at the Passover, but now he is the actual lamb of God. <clears throat> Verse 30, when he received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. There's no more work to be done. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's done and it's freely given to us. The work is complete. And then he says this. With that, when he said it's finished, nothing we can add to, he bowed his head. I, I love that. You know why he bowed his head? To the Father in submission. He bowed his head. And notice it says, he gave up his spirit. See, the devil thought he won. The devil thought he had destroyed Jesus and killed Jesus. But Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I give it up. See, the devil, and let me tell you something. The devil thought he won that day. You know, the, the word says that Satan was the most crafty of all the creatures that he created. And he is able to trick us and trick Adam and Eve in the garden. But let me tell you something. He cannot trick God. God, God outsmarted him because what he thought, what Satan thought was sure death of Jesus Christ the King was actually what God, exactly what God needed, that his son be crucified so everyone could have salvation and live. Amen. See, God pulled the old switcheroo on him. So let's look at Jesus' final week again. And I was talking about, last week we talked about Gethsemane and the get meant when the pressing, the trials come in life. And I want you to understand that the final week, Jesus' final week provides lessons to us on how we endure trials of this life. And we're going to see that everything he went through, you've experienced. You haven't experienced one thing that Jesus hasn't experienced. And because he's experienced, he's showed us how to overcome, and he has victory over that because it's finished. Whatever you're going through in your life, it is finished. It's not something that he is unaware of and doesn't know what's going on. Quickly, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest now who has gone through the heavens and is who? Jesus, the Son of God. In the Old Testament, remember, the high priest was the one that would make the sacrifices. He was the only one that could enter the Holy of Holies. And now Jesus is our high priest. He says, let us hold firmly. Why would he say hold firmly? 
Because he's trying to tell you some things in this life are going to shake you and want to take your faith and foundation you have in him. You better hold firmly to this when you go through your get experience, the, the crushing, your get experience. You get it? You get? Pun intended. Okay? <laughs> when you're going to go, Jesus says in this world you will have trouble. So that's why he's telling you got to hold firmly because your enemy, the devil, comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. There's no other reason he's there. And then it says, uh, hold firmly to the faith that we present, po- profess. For we do not have a high priest, now notice this, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way we did, just as we were. But then he says this, but yet was without sin. Let it, and he says, because of that, let us approach the throne of what? Grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Again, last week we focused on Jesus and Peter, and this, look what Peter tells us in First Peter 1, 6 and 7. He says, in this... You greatly rejoice in our salvation, though now for a little while, this side of the cross, in, in this natural world, uh, while you may have to have suffered grief of all kinds of trials, these, has, these have come so that your faith, and he's, when he's given a description of the faith, that your faith is greater than girl, uh, gold, that which perishes even through the refining of fire, that your faith is worth more than gold. He says that it may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That it may be proved. You know what? It, for it to be proved, it has to be tested. Because it's easy to say, I have faith for, when I'm not really needing faith for. See, Peter told Jesus later on when Jesus predicted, predicted his denial, he says, surely you're going to deny me three times. And he says, there's no way. I'm ready to go to jail. I'm ready to die for you. You see, but at, when he made that statement, there was no one there ready to arrest him. There was no one there ready to kill him. So it was easy to make that statement. And he actually believed it in his heart. But when the day came when the accusers were there, those that had the authority to arrest him and kill him, he backed away from that statement. You see, his faith was tested. What he thought his faith was, Jesus always knew. It ain't what you think, big boy. You're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Because I know what's really in there. When the pressure's going to be turned up, and I, I make this statement all the time, you know, they say at the end times, some may come and put a gun to your head and say, well, you deny Christ or I'll kill you. I'll blow your brains out right here. You have no idea what you're going to say. We all want to believe that we would say, I'll never deny him. But until you put in that pressure cooker, when it's reality, that's when it becomes true. You know, because many people, I don't want to get caught up in this. Let's just go. We got to go. Because uh, I've got to. Because many people will say, "Oh, I would never," right? But then, the, the, when that gun's at their head, they're going to be, "Well, you know, if I just say no, like Peter did, then I could profess him later." 
I'll escape. I could escape. I'll find my way to weasel out of this. See? You never know what's on the inside till it's. Yeah, you gave you ever give your kids, grandkids, those little juice bags? If you squeeze it, what happens? What's inside comes out. When when your faith squeezes you, what's really on the inside comes out. It doesn't matter what the little picture says. You know, you, you ever had some of those that maybe were expired? It looks nice on the outside, but when you squeeze it, it stinks the puri. It's no good. They got mold and mildew. So I'm going to need somebody to translate for those watching online from out of state. What is puri? <laughs> All right. So, number one, let's, let's look what he faced. Trials of abandonment. Abandonment. And again, what I'm saying is tying back to where he says, or thirsty in this world, that nothing's going to fill you because you cannot depend on anyone in this world. They will all let you down. Can I say it another way? No one in this world can depend on you 100% of the time because you will let them down. We're all guilty of it because we're human beings. So trials of abandonment, meaning alone, you know, again, even feeling abandoned, I've heard so many people that lost a loved one, you know, husbands and wives that were married for many years and the, that spouse goes away and it's, if they feel almost abandoned, you know, at this, that they're facing life on their own. Nothing lasts forever. No, the only one that's going to be there forever is him. You may have a spouse that left. You may have children that don't speak to you and you feel this way. And, and look what Luke, in Luke twenty two twenty eight says this. Jesus admits, talking to his disciples, he says this. You, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. He's saying, I was able to count on you before, but reality was coming, some more trials are coming. And listen, we're, we're looking at Peter's life. You know how Peter denied him, but reality is all 12 of his disciples ran. All 12 of them. Not one of his disciples stayed with him. You know, we always pick on Peter that he denied three times, but at least Peter had the, the guts to follow him. The other ones didn't even follow him. Peter, Peter chickened out when, when they came up and started questioning him when he realized where he was. But at least Peter followed. At least Peter got out the boat and stepped on the water. You know, we, we, a lot of times we want to bash on Peter. Oh, he sank. He didn't keep his eyes on the Lord, but he's the only one that had faith to get out the boat. Luke 22, verse 31 through 34. Simon, Simon. Now, this is when he's talking to Peter again. And again, this was before the Gethsemane Garden. We, we talked about this last week. Jesus knew what was coming. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan, who is your enemy and comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. He doesn't come to party with you. He doesn't come to do anything. He comes to deceive you, trick you, in order to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He comes as a friend. But he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, 
Now remember, he's, he's talking about he knows Simon's going to fail, and he's not even calling him Peter right now. He's calling him back to his old name because he knows he's going to fail him. And he says, uh, Simon, uh, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But I want you, this morning when I read over that again, I, I thought about that, that even Jesus prayed for Simon that his faith would not fail. Have you ever prayed for someone else and it didn't happen? They didn't do what you wanted? But um, this is what we see that we are to pray because Jesus prayed for him. But guess what? Even the prayer of Jesus could not keep Peter from failing. So don't blame yourself. We are ordered and, and encouraged. And Jesus said the example that you do pray for them. But it's ultimately up to them. Look, if Jesus can't, Jesus' prayer would, did not change the will of a person. You have free will. We pray for those loved ones. We pray for those people. But guess what? It's still their choice. He says that your fate will not, but he says this. And when you have returned, Jesus knows he's coming back, that he would come back. He says, strengthen your brothers. But look what Peter says. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And that's what I was talking about earlier. It's easy to say that when the squeezing ain't happening. And again, honestly, Peter really believed that. But what we believe is not always the truth. We can deceive ourselves. You hear me? You can deceive yourself into thinking you believe and you will act a certain way until the squeezing comes. Because it's only when the squeezing comes that what's truly inside comes out. Where am I? Verse 34, right? Okay. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. And reality is, all 12 of them abandoned him. It wasn't just the one. On this side of the cross, you can't, can't rely on anything. You can't rely on anybody. It's only in him. Next, letter B, is the trials of mockery. Being made fun of. Luke twenty-two sixty-three verse 65 says this, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and the man prophesy who hit you. And they said many other insulting things to him. Listen, some, some readings say that they actually had him sit down and they put his head on a rock and they would run by and punch him in the face when he was blindfolded and say, prophesy, tell us who done that to you. The mocking and the beating. And I didn't even go into it because I knew I wouldn't have time. But also the trials of physical things we endure. Sicknesses, beatings, and things like that. But I want you to, to tell you, you live in the United States of America. And you, have the free, you live in the freest nation to worship God. And, you know, that's being mocked. You know, I don't care if somebody teases you. Oh, holy roller. Who cares? Come on. Man, you, you, we do not face, the American church does not even have a glimpse of what persecution for the gospel is. 
And the saddest part is, we, we, Christianity is dying in America where we have the freedom to worship it. But those that aren't allowed to worship are the nations that is growing. You know, sometimes we take our, our, our rights and privileges for granted and we throw it away. And you know what brings it back? When this world's going to go to hell in a handbasket, then people's going to start crying out to God again. Right? They, they took God out of schools. They don't want God in the courtrooms. They don't want God all nowhere. Well, that's a whole other subject. Letter C. The trial of false accusation. Jesus actually, when he was arrested, faced, went through six trials. Okay? He faced three trials with the Jewish leaders, and he faced three trials under the Roman government. Okay, Roman leaders. Now, this is what I want you to understand. The problem that the Jewish leaders had, the Jewish leaders were under the authority of the Roman government. They were allowed to hold their trials on religious things like this, but the, the Roman government did not allow the Jewish leaders to put anyone to death. It had to be done through the Romans. That's why they kept bringing them to the Roman, to Herod and Pilate, and they were making false accusations about them because only the, the Roman government, the, again, we'll, we'll show this in a minute, the governing authority, the legal governing authority had the right to put someone to death. So that was the Jews' dilemma. They were, we have to bring them to, to the Roman people and have them uh, find something wrong with him so, that, so they could put him to death. Because if we, we, uh, we, we put him to death right now, we ourselves will be charged with murder. So notice this, Luke 22, verse 61 through 71 at daybreak, the council of elders, these are the Jewish, uh, he's before the Jewish people, <coughs> council of elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. And they asked them this question, if you are the Christ, they said, tell us. And Jesus is there, you know what guys, no matter what I answer you, your mind's already made up what you want to do. He says, there's no winning answer I can give you. He, he, he says it this way. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you, you won't answer. But from now on, he says, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the, of, uh, the mighty God. And then the leaders, they all asked, then, are you the Son of God? He replied, you are right in saying I am. Then notice what they said. Then they said, we don't need any more testimony. We, we don't want to hear anything else. Said, so we don't need any more testimony. We have heard it from his own lips. So they take him and they bring him before Pilate. We're going to jump to Luke 22, 1 through 4. Now, Pilate is the part of the uh, Roman government there. <coughs> he says, then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to what? accuse him. Now you got to see, Pilate didn't really care about their own little religious reason. Pilate was saying, you have to bring me a real reason for this. So they began, what was their reason for bringing him to Pilate? That he said he was the son of God. Okay, now here's these religious leaders 
bringing him before Pilate, and they themselves begin lying to get what they want, to try and get Jesus crucified. Think about that. That's the pot calling the kettle black. He's claiming to be the Son of God, but we can't tell them that because they don't care, so we're going to lie. That's how holy we are. We're going to lie in the court about him. They began to accuse him, saying these things. Again, the trial we just heard of, did you hear any of these things being mentioned, or did you just hear you saying you're the Son of God? That was their issue with him. They began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting the, our nation. He opposes uh, payment of taxes to Caesar, Caesar, Caesar and claims to be Christ a king. Okay, So they brought that part back. But he says, So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. As we, as we get ready, I want you to picture this in your head. You're going to see Pilate, you're going to see Jesus, and you're going to see Barabbas. I want you to picture in the spiritual, there's God the Father, who Pilate represents the earthly authority to put someone to death. We're going to see Jesus, the sinless one, and we're going to see one who's guilty that deserves death, was a murderer. Barabbas. Now watch this. John 19, 12. From then on, Pilate did what? Tried to free, tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting. Where were the Jews? The earthly side, okay? The representing men. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Now notice what they begin to say. Anyone who claims to be king, uh, a king opposes Caesar. So they're twisting things, and they're saying, you know, hey, Jesus is claiming to be a king, and, uh, you know, the king is Caesar, and if he's claiming to be a king, then he's at war with him. You better not do it. You better do something. Again, their motives were all lies. And Pilate's seen through this. Matthew 27, 23 through 25 says this. So time at, at the feast, it says, now, was the time, now it was where the governor's custom uh, feast was to release a prisoner chosen by who? The crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. He was a murderer, a thief. So here's Pilate in the natural, representing the authority of the land who can send someone to death. Spiritual, there's God the Father. One side is Jesus, the sinless one. The other side is Barabbas, a killer, a murderer. But do you know why it was Barabbas there? Do you know why it was someone named Barabbas? That he didn't choose, you know, go get Billy Joe. He killed a few people. Why would that person be Barabbas? Do you know Barabbas actually translates son of the father? 
child of God? Think about that. He was representing you and me. A son of the Father, a child of the Father. We are guilty of sin. Christ is not guilty. But yet, a judgment has to take place. Someone's going to die. Who will I release? So when the crowd, verse 17, so when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? And they screamed, Barabbas. He said, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ. For he knew it was, listen, it, Pilate even knew this. For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. He knew what they were telling him was a lie. But he didn't want, as a, as a as, as ruler in this land, he didn't want to crucify an innocent man. So he brought out a murderer, a robber, thinking surely the people are going to choose Jesus over this guy. But he brought out the guy that represents the Son of God, the Son of the Father, representing us. Verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the what seat? The judge's seat. His wife sent him a message saying, don't have anything to do with this innocent man about Jesus. He says, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barnabas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you as governor? Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then? with Jesus, who is called Christ. Pilate asked, they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Now, let's look at it from the earthly view. The crowd was responding out of hate and anger. And they said, release Barabbas to us. And by releasing Barabbas means it sacrificing Christ. In Pilate's mind, he's saying, here's innocence, Christ. Here's the guilty deserving of death. But this world is so messed up. Y'all choosing that death instead of life let's look at it from the father's point of view the father stands as judge he sees the guilty world sees his son who's innocent but he says the bible says for god so loved the world and he says barabbas you're a son of mine you're guilty and deserving of death and the wrath of god the cup of the wrath of God has to be drunk by one of you two. But out of love, where versus the other way they were doing it out of hate and anger, out of love, God chose Barabbas and put the weight of the world on his son to set them free. 
You see, we are here. We are Barabbas. We mess up. We fail. Every one of us. Worship team, if you want to just start making your way back up here. We all messed up. But God so loved us that even as we're in the broken, sinful state, out of love, he says, I'm not going to give you this cup of wrath to drink. I'll give it to my son. And what happened to Barabbas? He was set free. He was set free from the death penalty because somebody was dying that day. And because of the love that God has for each and every one of us, he said, I don't want them dying. I'll place it on my son. So God took all your sin that you have ever committed, ever will commit, and placed it on his son. That he died that day so we could be set free. He died in our place. Because reality, Jesus should have been set free. And you see, the enemy thought he won that day. He said, man, that's great. But he didn't realize that in three days after his death, I think it, I, I could picture putting your ear near that tombstone and you hear a heartbeat. And he comes out and he gives that Arnold Schwarzenegger line, I'm back. See, we have, could be raised to life with him. And that's what this represents. His body that was beaten. His body that was broken. The cup of wine represents his blood that was poured out. It's his salvation. See, God said, Jesus, you're going to have to drink. We're exchanging cups today. You're going to take their cup of sin and the wrath of God that's supposed to be on, and you're going to drink it. And I'm going to give to them the cup of life that they could drink and be saved because of your blood. See, you don't have to be born again to receive communion here today. But we, uh, you, you have to be born again. <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't have to be a member of Christian Fellowship Church to receive communion today. But you must be born again. I just want to share a few verses of scripture with you again he is the lamb of god john 129 says the next day john the baptist saw jesus coming toward him and said look the lamb of god the sacrificial lamb that was standing in front of pilate who takes away the sin of the world romans 4 25 says he was delivered christ was delivered over to death for what our sins and was raised to life for our justification. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 says, He himself, Christ, bore our sins on his body on the tree, so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for we were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer. Doug, I, I need you, I want you to come up here and I want you to do something. 
I want you just to get right behind me and follow me. As close as everywhere I go. The word of God says, his goodness and mercy follow you every day of your life. And God's behind you waiting to express his mercy and goodness every day of your life. And as I walk and I go my own way, he's still there because the second I turn around. You hear me? It's not that he stays way over there and I've walked so far away that it's a long journey back. It's the second I turn around because he's following me wherever I go. That he wants to embrace me and accept me as his son. Amen. Thank Brother. you, Doug. Amen. But we were like sheep gone astray, but now we've returned to him. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Because it is finished. It is done with. He, paid, he took the cup of wrath that was supposed to be for you because of the love of the Father. I'm glad that he didn't pick Billy Joe up there, but he picked the son of the Father, us. So let's stand to our feet. If you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity here today. Remember, it's been done. It's been paid. The work has been finished. All you have to do, how many of you know that if you want a gift, if someone has a gift to give you, it's not yours until you actually receive it? 